Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 through 40. God's word says this, hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. And one of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like this, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated. Thank you for standing this morning for that. Thank you for uh, the worship team, for the youth, for leading us in uh, worship this morning. Always good uh, when uh, we are led by the youth and the worship team um, in general into the presence of the Lord. Thank you for engaging that way. I'm uh, really surprised this morning just because that was not the color of my PowerPoint, so it's just always something surprising. It keeps you on your toes one way or another, but Lord willing, it won't look dumb by the time we're all done. So we're in the series on the church. We've been talking about Jesus as the cornerstone from 1 Peter 2, upon which the church is built. We've been talking about how the Lord, then upon the cornerstone, the Lord Jesus builds with living stones. You and I, the people of God, he's building his temple, his church together as living stones pressed together on the chief cornerstone, the Lord Jesus Christ. We talked about the fact that as he brings us into this church, he brings us into a family. It's the family of God. We talked about that on Family Sunday. We are members of the family of God from the oldest to the youngest, and we desire to be a multi-intergenerational church that everyone is valued, and I love seeing when the youth are leading. Uh, that's evidence for us of, of the uh, church being an intergenerational, multi-generational church where everyone gets to play. The last couple of weeks we've been talking about the resources of heaven and we talked about the presence of God being the greatest resource that the church has, his very presence with us. And, and last week talking about uh, the power and authority that come from Christ and from the spirit of God. And today we wanna make a little bit of a shift towards um, a ministry side of things over these next several weeks. And today with, with kind of a mindset message on Answering this question, when you come to church, why are you part of it? Why do you come? Why are you part of the church? I found a study that was done by the University of Michigan, the Center for Sustainable Systems, talking about the way that we as members of our country and members of the United States, how much a, of a uh, consumptions, uh, uh, how high our consumption is. Statistics such as in the year 2000, or in the year 1970, sorry, the average American calorie intake was 2,054. 40 years later in 2010, the, the average American brought, uh, consumed 2,501 calories. In 40 years, it's an increase of something like 450 calories, if my math is right. And my, I'm sure there will be those who will fact check me and I welcome it, I'm not a math major. With all that food being um, consumed, all those calories, they found that in the United States, between 30 to 40% of the food that we bring in and, and, and consume, 30 to 40% of it is wasted. 
that food waste is the most common landfill and incinerated material in the U.S., representing a loss of about $450 per person in that waste per year. In that area of waste in 2000, per capita consumption of all materials in the United States was 23.7 metric tons, which was 52% more than the European average. In 1900 in the U.S., raw material consumption was less than two metric tons per person, but at its peak in 2006, it had grown to over 13 metric tons per person. Talk about a lot of increase. In the year 2020, shifting gears a little bit to just some of our possessions, there were 275.9 million vehicles in the United States. 47.7 of them, or 47.7 million of those was more than the number of licensed drivers. So just think, there are 47.7 million more vehicles in our country than licensed drivers. With less than 5% of the world's population, we as a country consume almost 17% of the world's energy. Interesting statistic. And one study said that it would take over five planet Earths to support the human population if everyone's consumption patterns were similar to the average Americans. Consumption. We are a consumer culture. I don't think there's any way to get around that idea that we as a culture, we are a consumer culture. And that kind of consumerism, I believe, has flooded into the church as well. You hear statements such as, I don't like the music style, or we sing too much, or we don't sing enough. We don't sing enough hymns, or we sing too many hymns. <laughs> the service time, it's too long. The sermons or the Bible studies are not feeding me. You hear things like, my life is just really busy, and there's, I just can't fit church in. Or that whole thing of church it just doesn't meet my needs. All of these, I believe, are answers to the question, why are you part of the church? And in a lot of ways, I think the answer can be summarized with, I'm part of it for what I can get and for what it does for me. But yet Jesus said one of the only statements that we have of Jesus that wasn't recorded in the Gospels, the Apostle Paul says it in Acts chapter 20, verse 35. Jesus says, it is more blessed to give than to receive. This idea of giving or getting. Why are you part of the church? Is it to give or is it to get? In your bulletins, there are sermon notes and there are way more blanks than I normally do. But I figured, well, let's, let's shake it up a little bit, give you some writing to do if you want. Blanks are up there. If you're a type A person, I apologize because you're gonna need to fill every single thing in. If you're not, you can just scrap it, whatever you wanna do with it. 
But as we begin this idea of give and get, there, there is this big kind of overarching disclaimer that we have to make, a reminder, a remembrance for us, and that is that in order to give, you have to get. You get to give. Or in order to give, you have to receive. We've been talking about these resources of heaven. We've been talking about the presence of God. We've been talking about the power of God. We've been talking about the authority of God that Jesus gave to his church. All of these things are things that we need to get or to receive from God. We desperately need to receive these things to get them. And so we need to understand at the beginning of this message, it's gonna sound like, oh, this is contradictory, but we need to understand that we are unable to give without first getting or receiving from God. It's very much in line with what Jesus said in John 15, remain in me and I'll remain in you. Apart from me, you can do nothing. I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you remain in me, if you get life from me, if you receive life from me, then you will bear fruit. But if you don't, you won't be able to bear fruit. You won't be able to do anything. And so God has given to us salvation. God has made us to be living stones. God has placed us in his family. God has given us these precious resources of his, of his presence, authority, and power. He's given us ultimately himself. It all starts from what we have received and from what we continue to receive from him on a daily basis. And so right at the beginning of this, we need to remember that getting or receiving from God is absolutely critical. But... Getting or receiving from God is not so that we can consume. We don't receive, we don't get so that I can hoard it all, so I can keep it to myself. It's so that we can give it away. <laughs> life in the kingdom of God, life in his church is we receive to give. We can't give if we don't first get but consumerism will say, get it, get it, get it, get it, get it, keep it, keep it, hoard it, hoard it, it's mine. But the kingdom says, Jesus says for his church, I give so you can receive, so you can then give it away. It's a mentality, it's a mindset, it's a priority. Do we come and are we part of his church? And if you're a believer in Jesus, you are a part of the church of Jesus Christ. What is your priority? Is it to get or is it to get so that you can give? Jesus encapsulates all of this in the great commandment. How he summarizes what's most important. He has this Pharisee who wants to test Jesus. It's interesting how religious people love to test Jesus. They wanted to catch him in his words. And Jesus always had a way of getting to their heart. Always had a way of exposing their motive to be able to say, here's what's most important. And so he says, what is most important is that first, as we would come to this place of, of coming from God, that we would get or we receive from God so that we can give away that there is this first priority of loving God completely. Loving God completely. Loving God completely, in verses 37 to 38, Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Some parallel passages to this will add all your strength as well. 
Jesus says this is the first and greatest commandment, to love God completely. This commandment wasn't something that Jesus brought up. This commandment of loving God is really an ancient priority. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, it talks, this is where we first find it in the scriptures. God gave this priority of loving God completely to the Israelites nearly 3,500 years ago. Every morning and every evening, Jewish families would, would wake up in the morning and they would end their day with reciting this memorized passage of scripture to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength to remind them that this was the priority of their lives. Out of what God had done in creating them as a people, how he had given them the law, how he had given them his presence, what their responsibility was out of what they had received to give back to him 100% complete love. And so Jesus, nearly 1,500 years after that ancient priority was given, says this is the most important thing, these two commands that summarized scripture and summarized relationship with God. And now over 2,000 years later, about 2,000 years later, it's still the priority today. Loving God in this way requires our whole being. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. These are our emotions, our passions. Sometimes people say, oh, don't trust your feelings and don't, 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 be emotional, but the reality is we are emotional beings. Some of us are more emotional than others. And so loving God is going to require there to be some emotion. There's going to be some passion. We are all passionate people about something. It may be expressed differently, but loving the Lord our God with all of our heart is loving him with all of our heart, all of our emotion, all of our passion. It's loving him also with all of our soul. The soul is the essence of the person. It is the seat of the will. It is when you know someone and you say, oh, I know Mark. What you know of me is my soul. It is my personality. It is the essence of who I am. It's what makes me up. When you know me in a relationship, you, you know my, what I look like, but what makes me tick, that's my soul. It's the essence of a person. It's their will. It's their personality. We love the Lord with all of our mind, our intellect, our knowledge, the way that we think. It's why the Apostle, says, the Apostle Paul says, be conformed by the renewing of your mind. The way that we think, the scriptures will change the way that we think so that we are able to worship and to love God with our minds, our intellect, and with all our strength, which is our physical bodies. There is this reality of these physical bodies, though wasting away, they are temples of the Holy Spirit in which we, the way that we live and the way that we care for these and the way and what we give these physical bodies to and all of our relationships and sexuality and all these things, these are all parts of loving God with all of our strength. Everything that we do, the Apostle Paul says, do it all for the glory of God, our strength, the way we do it, our physical body, our physical life, we do it in love for God. 
loving God completely out of the love that he has given to us requires our whole being. This command incorporates the entirety of a human person. Every part is to be given to loving God completely. In other words, as much as we have and as much as we do receive from him, we are, re- we are to return it back to him in love. Everything we get, we are to give back in love to him. There's a song that's been going through my mind as I've been thinking about this this week. It's by um, All Sons and Daughters. Um, it's your breath in my, in my lungs, so, you know, So I pour out my praise, I pour out my praise. It's this idea that everything that God has given to me, even the very breath of my lungs, I turn it back in praise to him. Because as he gives, we return it in love to him. The way then that we love God really reveals our spiritual temperature. The way that we love God, if you want to know how am I doing spiritually, how am I growing spiritually, what is, what is my spiritual level of commitment, look at how you are loving God. How are you loving him with your heart? How are you loving him with your soul? How are you loving him with your mind? How are you loving him with your strength? It will give us a pretty good idea of how we're doing spiritually. You know, when you cook a piece of meat, you get a meat thermometer, right? Because you want to find out at the deepest part of that piece of meat, is it 160 or 165 degrees? Is it fully cooked? If you're eating a hamburger, you may say, don't get it 160 or 165 degrees or a steak. I don't want it like that. I want it mooing still. But it, the reality is if you don't want to get sick, you want to guarantee you're not going to get sick, you've got to get it to that level of 160, 165 degrees. And so you stick that meat thermometer down deep into the core of it, to the center of it, because if it's cooked at the center of it, everything else is going to be cooked. If you want to know how your spiritual temperature is, whether you're hot or cold, whether you are loving God, allow God to take by his spirit sort of a spiritual thermometer and begin to probe your heart. Begin to probe your soul. Begin to probe your mind, what you think about and how you think. Begin to probe your strength. Where is that level of love for him? So that question then becomes, as we receive, we turn it back to God. As we get or receive his love, we give love back. So a question you may want to wrestle with is, how is your Or what is your spiritual temperature? If the Lord by his spirit were to probe you, (laughs) loving God, heart, soul, mind, and strength, what would the temperature be? 
See, loving God completely really is a reality of growing completeness. I don't know about you, but even the people that I have seen that have are so far ahead of me spiritually, when I ask them, how are you doing spiritually? They go, oh, there's still so much more that the Lord is doing in my life. <laughs> Some of the, you, you can kind of tell who the really, really godly ones are because they're the ones who are saying, oh, there's so much more that the Lord has to do in me. Not, oh yeah, I'm doing great. Because when we really understand what it means to receive from God all that he has given to us and to respond in love to him, oh Lord, there's so much more. It's a growing completeness, completely. Lord, is there an area? Help me to love you more completely. It really is about our priority. Loving God completely. But as Jesus said, there is also a reality of loving your neighbor as yourself. That as we receive from God, it also flows out to loving our neighbor as ourselves. And so if you would just keep a finger maybe in Matthew chapter 24 and turn to Luke chapter 10. So if you're in Matthew, just back two books, Mark, then Luke, to Luke chapter 10, verses 25 to 37, because Jesus was asked a question in Luke chapter 10 that centers around the same teaching. Luke chapter 10, verse 25. Jesus was asked on one occasion, it says, Luke 10, 25, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Notice, who is it again? It's a religious person. <laughs> Both times that Jesus goes after this, it's religious people. So this religious expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, what is written in the law? How do you read it? Turns the question back to him. And so this religious expert in the law says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus replied, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. For a lot of people, that would have been the end of the conversation. But this man, it doesn't end there. It says, verse 29, but he wanted to justify himself. He wanted to show how much he knew. So he asked, who's my neighbor? And so Jesus replies in verse 30 by telling this story, this parable. A man was going down from Jerusalem down to Jericho, down the mountain, when he fell into the hands of robbers, which was not uncommon in that day. Robbers would hide on the sides of the road, and if there was a lone traveler, they would jump out and they would rob individuals coming from, down from Jerusalem. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. When he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him, bandaged his wounds, and poured oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. 
The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for the extra expense you may have. Jesus then asked this man, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. This story would have been very surprising for those first century Jews because the priest and the Levite would have been the ones that they would have expected. They were the ones who were the religious elite. They were the ones who had loving God under their belt or what they at least prescribed or what they showed to everyone, that they had that carried out. But the priest and the Levite, instead of stopping, which would have been a big inconvenience because they they had touched this man, they would have been ceremonially unclean. They would have had to go through a period of time of cleansing in the temple to be able to, to go through this ritual, to be able to come back into the presence of the Lord. And so they viewed this, that's gonna be too much cost. The religious leaders, that's gonna be too much cost. But it's the guy who they don't expect, the Samaritan the one who was the enemy of Israel, the one who they despised, the one who both sides did not like each other. He's the one. Only the social outcast, the enemy, the Samaritan, stops to take care of this man. And Jesus uses the story to relate the fact that everyone is my neighbor. Answering this man's question In Matthew chapter 22, who is my neighbor? Everyone is my neighbor. Everyone. Love everyone as you love yourself. Not just those who you like, those who you get along with, those who like you, those who agree with you, those who speak well of you, not just those, but everyone, even those who are so far opposed to you, who don't think like you, who don't like you, and maybe you don't like them, those who you disagree with, all are our neighbors. Love your neighbor. Love everyone as you love yourself. Loving self really is about receiving. And loving self is equivalent in Jesus' economy to loving others. Loving self and coming to the place that we receive from God, that's loving ourselves, that's caring for ourselves, that there is nothing wrong with receiving from God. Loving for self and caring for ourselves is absolutely essential. But what Jesus is saying is, don't neglect yourself, but the way that you love yourself should equal the way that you love others. Love your neighbor in the same way that you love yourself. In the same way that you want to receive from God, so you should want to love your neighbor in the same way you have received from God. As we sang from that song, Jaira, Jehovah Jireh, my provider. If God cares for the lilies of the field and he cares for the birds of the air, how much more will he care for us? That is receiving from God. That is loving 
self by receiving from him in the same way it is giving it away to others. Loving and caring for others is expressed in the way that we receive his love. And so in the, to the same degree that we receive God's love for ourselves, we must then become a conduit for his love to be poured out into others. We must take the love that we have received from God, give it back to him, but also let it flow into the lives of others. Both the ones we like and the ones we don't. This may mean that we look around us to meet the practical needs of people around us. I don't know about you, but sometimes the busier I get, the harder it is for me to be willing to meet the practical needs of people around me. How am I going to do that when I have all of this to do? But loving God and loving others requires that out of the love that we receive, that we are looking, how do we bless others? How do we meet the practical needs around us? It may mean it has nothing to do with a material need, and it may mean sitting with someone who is lonely someone who is struggling, someone who is wrestling out a decision and simply being there to listen. It may mean encouraging people with words, whether you speak them into the life of another person or you take the time to write a note to them, encouraging words. Over the next weeks, we're gonna be talking about serving others in ministry. We're gonna talk about spiritual gifts. We're gonna talk about engaging to build up the body of Christ and it may mean sharing Jesus with those who are in need of Christ. Often the people who are most in need of Christ, we have no contact with them because they're not like us. Because they don't fit into my definition of a neighbor. But Jesus says if you're going to love Others, it is all people. And usually the people who don't know Jesus are the ones who are least like us. <laughs> They're our neighbors. How do you love others? Loving self, receiving from God, then gets poured out into loving others. Loving others then reveals our priority of what giving is. You know, it's been said that you can tell a person's priorities by what their checkbook says, what they spend their money on. You can tell the priorities of life. But you can also tell their priorities of giving by the ways in which they are investing in other people, by the ways in which they are regularly looking to love others. When we are regularly looking to love others, our priority then is not getting, our priority is giving. If you're waiting for others to love you, then your priority is probably getting. If you find yourself complaining about the things that aren't, while not looking to help fix the things that aren't, then your priority is probably getting. Out of the love that we receive from God, we give it away to others. Living stones, people of the family of God, give it away to both believer and unbeliever alike.
If that diagram wasn't confusing before, it is now. It's so good. Mara says it's so good. Good. We receive from God. The only way that we're going to give is if we first what? See how well I've done in communicating this. The only way that you're going to be able to give is to first what? Receive or get. And after we receive or we get it, where do we go first? Back to who? Back to God. We love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second commandment is we love our neighbor as ourselves. So who do we love then secondly? Others. We receive in order to give back to God. And we receive in order to give his love to others. It really is a mentality thing. It's a mentality thing. Do I come, am I part of the church? Am I in relationship with God for what he can give to me? Or am I in relationship for God, with God for what he gives me so I can give it back and give it to others? Give or get. I've been thinking a lot about this idea because it's words that have been thrown around to me lately of an ecosystem. And I'm not a scientist either. But National Geographic says that an ecosystem is a geographic area where plants, animals, and other organisms, as well as weather and landscape, work together to form a bubble of life. It's not my definition. And so I have this amazing plant. I, I am not a plant person. I, am, I excel at killing plants. But, but this plant is in my office. There's a couple others, and I didn't bring those because this is probably the best one that I have. <laughs> so if you saw my other plants, you'd say, oh, poor guy, poor guy, but even more poor plants. But I have these plants in my office because there is this nice idea that for me that I'm kind of in my own little office having this little ecosystem, me and my plants. I know, that's, it sounds stupid. But when I see those over there, it's, it's defining for me this reality that when I breathe, I am exhaling carbon dioxide, which these, this plant loves. This plant needs my carbon dioxide. And this plant, as it receives my carbon dioxide, it gives off oxygen, which I don't know if you know this, but we need it or we die. Okay, so, so I'm giving this little guy what it needs as it's giving to me what I need. So in my little office there, I've got this little, I know it sounds ridiculous, I got this little ecosystem going on. Very simple ecosystem. But it's a reminder to me that if I live on my own, and I don't have plants around, Eventually, I'm going to suffocate. <laughs> and if that plant doesn't have me around, it's going to look even worse than it does right now. And that's not its fault. That's mine. But this idea of this ecosystem, this life bubble that is dependent the way God has created it. But, but how much more? What if we looked at the church that way? What if we looked at the church that way? What if we looked at God being as he is the creator and sustainer of all things? 
And he's not pouring out just oxygen. He's pouring out all that we need, every resource that we need. He's pouring out his love. He's pouring out his presence. He's pouring out his power. He's pouring out his authority for the church. And what do we do with it? Do we, oh God, thank you. We're gonna keep it. We're gonna hoard it. We love it. Thank you. No. The church is an ecosystem in which we then turn it back to him. The breath, the love, everything that you've given, we pour it back to you, God. And we wanna be people, and we wanna be a family that is growing increasingly in loving God with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength. And we want it to be also spilling out into the ways that we love one another. And so if I do that, and if you do that, the church becomes this marvelous ecosystem, this body, this family, this temple, all these different analogies that scripture uses to define the church. All of it becomes this functioning group. But it's all dependent on whether we have a mentality of I'm coming to give or to get. If I'm coming just to get and consume, if you're coming just to get and consume, you're going to suck the life out. It has to be given back. It has to be given back. And the neat thing is, is we live in relationships that way. As the church does its thing together, everybody gets their needs met. Because I'm meeting yours and you're, you're meeting mine and we're... God is pouring out his love. He's saturating us with his presence, with his love, his power and authority. We're using it. We're going out. But it's all about the mentality. Is our mentality out of what he has given to give or to get? So this morning as we would close, just want to walk us through just a very, very, you may feel like this is a silly prayer thing, but just work with me for a moment maybe. Just encourage us to breathe in. And as you're breathing in, you're not just breathing in oxygen. I just encourage you to be thinking, Lord, I just breathe in your love. I breathe in your love. I receive from you. I receive from you. And then as you would breathe out, that it would be just that conscious thing. Lord, I turn it back to you. We'll just spend a few moments just turning our love back to him. And we want to spend just a few more minutes after that just breathing in his love again, breathing in his presence, and saying, Lord, would you use me in that time? Would you use me to breathe your love out to others, to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength in our neighbor as ourselves? So Jesus, may you take this time. Holy Spirit, we come to you. Move amongst us, even as we would spend these few moments of prayer with you. So as you would breathe in, just take a deep breath, and as you do, just receive the love of the Father over you. And as you exhale, just begin to turn it back to him. Receive his love for provision for all that you need.
praise him for the identity that he has given to you as his son or daughter. Turn your affections back to him as you breathe in his love. If emotions would start to rise, don't hold those back. Those are being turned to him. They're being awakened to be turned back to him in love. Turn back your own will and your own desires and in loving surrender, receive the plans and purposes that he has, not your plans, not your purposes for your life. Receive his love and turn it back to him. Lord Jesus, we seek to have our minds renewed to think your way, to glorify you in the ways that we think. Receive his love and offer your body now as a living sacrifice to him. As your spiritual act of worship to him. Father, increase our love for you that we would in growing completeness love you with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength. And as you breathe in his love, would you begin to, to turn love towards others? Maybe there are a few people that the Lord would bring to your mind just to pray blessing over. Even in this moment, to love them by praying blessing over them. Father, we receive all that you have, not for our own selves, but to give it back and to give it away for your glory and for the building of your kingdom. Your love, O Lord, is better than life. And so we offer ourselves in response to you. Build your church, I pray here and around the world as your people receive from you and give love back to you and back to others. In the name of Jesus, I pray, amen.